Philippians 2 in your Bible, please. Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2, and when you find that, I want to stop and pray. And I want to speak to you tonight on, on this subject. A, it's, it's a continuation of our theme we've been on all week. But I want to speak to you on this subject, willing to join the mission. Willing to join the mission. <clears throat> Philippians 2, and let's bow for prayer, please. Lord Jesus, again, we thank you for one more opportunity here to open your precious word. And Lord, I truly desire you to speak to our hearts. Lord, we pray every day for you to call laborers and send laborers to the unreached fields of the world. And I pray here tonight, Lord, that there will be several somebodies who will declare their willingness to join the mission, whatever that means for us. Please help now and please guide. Please give clarity of thought. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Philippians 2, starting in verse 19, please, if you'll look there and follow as I read a few verses. Philippians 2, verse 19, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But ye know the proof of him that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Our theme has been, God is on a mission to reveal his glory and extend his grace to every kindred, tribe, and tongue. This is the mission that consumes the heart of God. Therefore, it should be the mission that consumes our heart and uh, a mission uh, around which our lives are entirely focused. I would submit to you that there's an abundant supply of normal Christians in the world today. There, uh, there, it's more rare to find a fully committed Christian who rises above the normal. I'm not sure who gets a defined normal. I guess we all think we're normal, right? Uh, we're the standard for normal. But some Christians are Sunday morning only. Some are tithe only. Uh, some spend a little time in the Word once in a while and maybe a little time in prayer occasionally. And, and sometimes or maybe, maybe uh, very rarely would witness the gospel to someone, give the gospel to someone. Uh, Christian service beyond, uh, uh, beyond a church attendance is asking too much and so forth. Vance Havner once said, most Christians live such subnormal lives that if they began to live a normal Christian life, people would think them abnormal. And it's really difficult today to find people who are willing to make a long-term, deep-hearted commitment to anything, uh, much less to the cause of Christ, and pay the price to do it well and do it with heart and soul. I think a lot of people could be characterized with the phrase of, uh, uh, attributed to, um, I'm sorry, when Barzillai I said to David after being asked, to go on a mission, Barzillai said, thy servant will go a little way. And I think a lot of Christians will go a little way for God. And that kind of sums up the spirit of our age, doesn't it? I had a friend who was a regional manager for USA Today newspaper a few years ago. And he was over seven, a seven-state area. And he said they had a phrase in their office that they call certain employees WIFM employees. And WIFM stood for what's in it for me. 
What's in it for me? And this is really not a new problem. The same was true in Paul's day. Would you look at our text again and see verse 21? We read a moment ago, For all seek their own, and not the things which are Jesus Christ's. So here's what I want to ask you tonight. Will you allow God to begin developing you into a fully committed Christian? I know there are some fully committed Christians in this room. But I wouldn't be so naive to think that every person in this room is fully committed. And would you allow for the possibility that God may want to take you from where you are to a level of higher commitment, a level of higher involvement? Will you be willing tonight to do what God asks you to do? After you've contemplated the theme of this conference, the mission of God, the great commission that is incumbent upon our lives, will you be willing at the end of this meeting to do what God is asking you to do. Now, this challenge is focused around missions, although our text is not specifically about sending someone to a foreign field. I just want to ask you to, to allow for the possibility that God may be asking you for a level of commitment that exceeds the normal, a commitment that's willing to sacrifice and give whatever God wants to be on mission with Him, not just giving your resources, but giving your life. Paul probably met Timothy, and we're introduced to him in this passage of Scripture in verse 19. Paul probably met Timothy on his first missionary journey. He was already a believer because of the faith of his mother and his grandmother, and perhaps it was the influence of Paul's preaching that spurred his growth in the faith. Paul considered him a very dear friend, and he called him my dearly beloved son in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 2. And then I think Paul enlisted Timothy as a fellow laborer on his second missionary journey. In Acts 16, verse 2, the Bible says Timothy was well reported of by the brethren. And so Paul asked him to serve with him and go with him on the mission. And from that point on, Timothy did serve with Paul. And you might make the case that ultimately Timothy was Paul's replacement. Notice how Paul describes this young man in verse 20. And I won't define this word yet, but I will come back to it. Concerning Timothy, he says, For I have no man like-minded. That word like-minded is very interesting. And I want you to see this passage not as, in verse 19, Paul, Paul uh, expresses a desire to send Timothy. And then he says, I have no man like-minded. I don't think it means I'm sending Timothy because I can't find a like-minded man I think this passage is saying I'm sending Timothy because he's the only like-minded man I can find. So I want to give you three characteristics of Timothy tonight, and I want to say to you definitely that Timothy was not your average Christian. My first point is simply a restatement of the title. In essence, Timothy was willing to be sent. Willing to be sent. And I get that from verse 19 where he said, I want to send Timothy. I believe that speaks not only of Paul's desire to send him, but I believe it speaks of Timothy's availability to be sent. The phrase, to send, is found 79 times in the New Testament. And three times it's found in this chapter. And we read two of them in the short passage we read a moment ago. So I believe this speaks not only of Paul's desire for someone to go, but it speaks of the willingness of Timothy to be sent where the need presented itself. And my challenge for you tonight is, are you willing to join the mission? Are you willing to be sent by God? Suppose God spoke to your heart tonight and said, I'd like to send you to, 
and fill in the blank with the name of the country or fill in the blank with the name of the unreached people group or fill in the blank with the name of the unreached language group that needs the Word of God translated for them. If God spoke to you tonight and said, would you go to this place, would you be willing to say yes? Robert Morrison, a missionary to China who spent 25 years there and translated the Bible for them, and when he left the field 25 years later, he had 12 converts on record. But he gave them God's Word, and today there are more Christians in China than there are in America. When he was preparing to leave and praying about where God would have him go, here's the prayer he prayed. God, station me in the hard place. That's a dangerous prayer, isn't it? That's, that's re that really takes a lot of courage and boldness, asking God to put you in a place that's not going to be so easy. And, and here's what that says to me about Robert Morrison. He was willing to be sent. He wasn't... He wasn't uh, dragging his feet and kicking and, and screaming at the call of God and the leadership of God. He was willing to go wherever God wanted. Henry Martin, a missionary to India, on the eve of his departure for the mission field, said these words, I go to burn out for God. That doesn't sound like an unwilling individual. John Payton went to the New Hebrides Islands well over 100 years ago. And as he presented his field of service and his call for, for, uh, from God to go to this place, an older gentleman, you may have heard this story, an older gentleman in the room stood up and said, Mr. Payton, if you go to the New Hebrides Islands, you're going to be eaten by cannibals. And John Payton said, Sir, with all due respect, you're an old man, and they're soon going to put your body in a grave, and you're going to be eaten by worms. And it doesn't matter if I'm eaten by worms or cannibals, I'm going to go where God is leading me to go. That sounds like a willing individual, doesn't it? So, so here's the challenge of this first point. I'm suggesting it is your duty to be prepared to go when you hear the voice of God. Now, a lot of us would say, if God called me, I would get ready to go. No. If God speaks, you should already be ready. You should already be in that position. I talked to you this morning about the goer versus sender mentality and, and this special group versus the non-called that sometimes feel like we're let off the hook. And so we've got our lives all wrapped up in, in, in financial debt and financial obligations and commitments here on this earth. And if God would speak to us and say, I need you to become a goer. I need to send you to some place on this globe where they haven't heard the, heard the gospel of Christ and they don't have a Bible in their language. We ought to be in such a state of spiritual preparedness and, and freedom from the temporal things of this earth that we can pick up right where we are and take off for God. Amen. The average Christian family would have to take five years to get free of all the temporal bindings they have in their life. And I'm not suggesting that debt is a sin. I'm not suggesting owning things is a sin. I'm just trying to make a parallel here between our mindset with where we are right now and where God might ask us to go at some point in our lives, and are we ready to say yes? We all face this test of willingness, don't we? Someone said we ought to change our philosophy of here I stay until God says go. Some of us perhaps should say here I go unless God says stay. I'd like you to consider the obstacles that certain Bible characters overcame when God spoke to them and called them to go. 
And I would suggest right here from our text, it's kind of implied, uh, but Timothy was willing to join the mission in spite of the distance involved. Rome to Philippi, that's where Paul wanted to send Timothy from Rome. That's where he's writing this epistle to check on the Philippian church to see how they're doing. So Rome to Philippi was a distance of some 800 miles. Now for us, that's a, what, a three-hour flight maybe? But not for Timothy. That would be a six-week journey. You know, when Hudson Taylor went to China and Adoniram Judson to Burma and David Livingston and William Carey, when they went to the mission field, it was a three- to six-month journey by ship. And then you could write a letter when you got there and put it back on another ship and send it back home, and three to six months later, your family finds out you made it safely. And they write you a letter and tell you that your, your Uncle John is sick, and they send you the letter, and six months later, you find out Uncle John is sick, and you send a letter and say, please tell Uncle John I'm praying for him, and six months later, they get the letter, but he died four months ago. They went a long way from home. They were without the comfort of family and, and being surrounded by friends and the blessing, as I spoke this morning, of Christian fellowship. But you know, today, we can take a flight from Washington, D.C., Reagan International Airport, and we can be just about anywhere on this globe in 40 hours to 48 hours. Just about anywhere you want to go. The uttermost parts of the earth. I went to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia a few years ago, and then we, we took a plane from Ulaanbaatar to the city of Moron. You don't want to live in Moron. <laughs> then we got on a van and we drove two hours to the city of Khatgol, which is right up near the Russian border. And if you don't think Khatgol, Mongolia is the uttermost parts of the earth, then you just need to go try and see it and, and see what it's like. We have, we have FaceTime. We have satellite phones. And we have text messages that can be sent in milliseconds. Yet we seem less willing to go today than ever before. I, I could never go that far from home. And my question is, is the Lord worthy of the kind of commitment that might call for you to spend some time a long distance from home? It's hard. I think, uh, I think it was Dr. Keene that was telling me one time, one of the, he said one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life is stand at the airport and say goodbye to my family who was going to South Africa as missionaries knowing you're not going to see them for three, four years, sometimes more. Timothy was willing to be sent in spite of the distance. How about this one? Moses was willing to be sent in spite of his own inadequacies. Moses fled for his life to the backside of the desert. He stood before the burning bush, and he made five excuses. And I don't like the word excuses in, in application to this story, uh, but I really believe Moses was simply expressing doubts about his own qualification and adequacy for the task. So I think when Moses said, who am I? You want to send me? And then he said, they won't believe me. And, and then he said, uh, who, who shall I tell them sent me? And, and he's asking all these questions, expressing doubts about himself. And I believe, as I think I said this earlier this week, any God-called person is going to feel inadequate for the task they've been assigned. And if you ever have a pastor who says, I am well qualified for this position, you should go find another church. So Moses is just like us. And what astounds me about this story is two things. Number one, God took the time to answer all of Moses' reservations. Instead of kicking him in the backside and saying, I told you what to do and where to go, now get at it. Quit, quit standing here arguing with me. He took the time. I think there's 50-something verses in response to these five uh, things that Moses brought up. 
And, and here's, the, here's the important thing. God didn't accept any of his reservations, but he lovingly took the time to walk Moses through the solution to your lack of adequacy in your own mind. And the second thing amazing about that story is when Moses saw that that was God's plan for his life, he went in spite of the way he felt. Did you get that? We like to make excuses and then we let those excuses become objections to the leadership of God. And you can make your excuses, but here's what you should do. You should take those to God and let God deal with you about those excuses or those reservations. And then when God's finished dealing with you about it, the answer should still be, yes, I will go. We can never allow our excuses, our, our, it's out of my comfort zone. We can never allow that to become a denial of the leadership of God in our lives. Is the Lord worthy of you stepping out of your comfort zone and stepping into what you don't feel qualified to do simply for the fact you know God is leading you to do it? How about Elijah and Ananias, an Old Testament and a New Testament example here? I think these men were willing to be sent in spite of the dangerous situation they were placing themselves in. Elijah in 1 Kings 18.1 was told to go to the house of Ahab. Well, Ahab and Jezebel have been looking for him to kill him. And I'm pretty sure, I don't find it in the scripture, but I'm pretty sure Elijah said, would you please give me that address again? It didn't get, I couldn't get it into my GPS right here. You want me to go to Ahab's house? But verse 2 says, he arose and went. And then Ananias in Acts chapter 9 was told to go to the house of Saul, or to go find Saul of Tarsus. <clears throat> this was after he had been struck down on the Damascus road. And I can't find this in the scripture either, but I'm pretty sure Ananias said, uh, you're not talking about the Saul that's killing all of us, are you? Are you are, is, you're not sending me there. The Lord said to him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles. And that's the word nations and kings and the children of Israel. And, the, and two verses later it says, And Ananias went. So, so Elijah and Ananias were willing to be sent in spite of potential danger. And you know what we want to do today? We want to weigh out all the risks. Okay, God, you tell me where, and you, you lay it all out for me, you spell it all out for me, and what I'm going to have to face, the potential dangers and, and the risk that's going to be involved, and then I'll decide if I'm ready to go. No, that's not the way this works. Acts chapter 15, verse 26 refers to those who had hazarded their lives for the gospel's sake, for the name of our Lord Jesus. I heard from a friend today who is in Baghdad, Iraq, with three blonde-headed daughters and a blonde-headed son that's about two and a half years old. And it's a dangerous place. They were fighting in the streets just a couple of weeks ago. Political instability. And he knew the risks when he went there. And I, I get messages from him occasionally on, on an app on my phone, and he says, uh, we're, not, we're not telling you all these things so you feel sorry for us. We signed up for this. Can I give you one more? willing to be sent in spite of? How about Philip was willing to be sent leaving a successful ministry? Now that kind of flips the coin over. Uh, we have distance and we have danger and we have your own inadequacies. And now we have Philip who's conducting a citywide revival campaign in Samaria and a lot of people are getting saved. And the Spirit of God says to him in Acts chapter 8, go toward the desert, go to Gaza. And I can't find this in the scripture either, but I'm pretty sure Philip said, but I'm on the schedule to preach tonight at 7. 
And I was just finishing up my report to send in to the sword of the Lord to tell them how, how successful our campaign has been. And you want me to go to the desert where there's no one? Well, the next verse says, Philip arose and went. I think sometimes the real test is not what you're being called to, but what you're being asked to walk away from. Walking away from home. Walking away from a comfortable situation. Walking into a potentially dangerous situation. But sometimes that, any of those decisions rather require us to walk away from what we love, where we love, and who we love. And is the Lord worthy of you sacrificing those things to follow His leadership? And the resounding answer would be, yes, He is worthy. Timothy was willing to be sent. Number two, I want to say this, Timothy was willing to make sacrifices. Willing to make sacrifices. Notice in verse 22, <clears throat> this phrase, But you know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father he hath served with me in the gospel. The word serve there is the word doulos, which means to be a bondman. It means to take up a bondservant's life or a slave's life. Paul didn't say, uh, Timothy, join me in this prestigious position of assistant missionary with a high-paying salary and great benefits and classy travel all over the world. No, he said, Timothy has been a bond slave beside me. Timothy has made sacrifices. Uh, he has made sacrifices to serve in the mission of God. And, and can I just be blunt? It's extremely hard for Americans to even wrap our mind around the word sacrifice. We don't sacrifice here. Uh, I don't know how much you personally gave to missions last year, but you're sitting in a nice auditorium with air conditioning, wearing nice clothes, and you had good food today. There are people all over this world that are sacrificing in tremendous ways just to claim the name of Jesus. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around it, surrounded by Christian civilization. And I know our, our society is, is headed in the wrong direction real fast. But a couple of examples here. Timothy was ready to sacrifice his family. What's that mean? He was ready to walk away from them. You know from the scripture, you get the idea that Timothy was raised in a wonderful home with a loving mother and grandmother. He was taught and spiritually nurtured, a quiet, godly home. The scriptures were part of it, brought up in the faith, saved at an early age. But when Paul said, I'm in ministry, I'm planting churches, we're going to be on the road, it's going to be hard, would you follow me? And Timothy was willing to walk away from that loving, sweet home environment that he had and serve with Paul, ready to sacrifice his family. Many times, the reason we don't go follow the Lord is because our family stands in the way. Sometimes our family becomes the idol of our heart. And sometimes our family literally says to us, don't you dare think about going to the other side of the world as a missionary. To think of breaking those ties to cross the seas. No, not my son, not my daughter. You know, I think one of the, one of the hardest things, my wife and I are married for 19 years with no children. And then God gave us our daughter, Emily. And one of the decisions I made early in her life was, Lord, she's yours. And wherever you put her, when she grows up on the face of this earth, if she'll serve you, I'll be blessed. Don't tell your children, don't discourage your children from following God's will. Encourage them to do it. 
The Bible says in Luke 14, 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he won't make a very good disciple. That's not what it says, is it? It says he cannot be my disciple. You know what that means? It doesn't mean you hate your family, but it does mean if you're not putting God first, you're not following him. Ready to sacrifice family, ready to sacrifice fellowship. We talked about fellowship a little bit this morning. And Paul wanted Timothy, at the end of his life, Paul wanted Timothy to be near him. But in this case, he was willing and wanting to send Timothy away. And Timothy was willing to walk away from the good fellowship he had with his mentor and his fellow laborer in the gospel. Is he worthy of that kind of sacrifice? And then Timothy was willing to sacrifice his own life. History records that Timothy was preaching against the idolatry of the people at the Feast of Diana, and he was clubbed to death. So Timothy was willing to be sent. He was willing to make sacrifices. And third, and this is where we go back to the word like-minded, and let me state the point. Timothy had a heart for the work of God. And I think this is the most powerful point in the text. The word like-minded, as you can see, is a compound word, and it means equal-souled. Equal soul. Here's what Paul is saying. I'm sending Timothy to you because he's the only man I know who has a soul equal to mine, who has a heart for ministry and a heart for God like I do. So let's stop for a minute here and let's think about the heart Paul had for ministry and the heart Paul had for the glory of God and the heart Paul had to preach the gospel and the heart Paul had to reach people with the gospel. Look at Philippians 1 and verse 7. Let's look at Paul's heart. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart, in as much as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. Notice that phrase, I have you in my heart. Verse 8, for God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ, simply an expression of how deep my affection runs for you. Look at chapter 2, verse 19. At the end of verse 19, this was our text. Paul said, I want to send Timothy that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. Expressing Paul's, I I, I don't know how you're doing, but I need to know how you're doing. That's how much love I have for you. And I've invested myself in praying for you and planting the church there and encouraging you in the Lord. And I want to know that you're still serving God and you're still living faithfully. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 and following. You don't have to turn there, but... Paul talks about the, the, the beatings and the perils and the cold and the fastings and the stonings and the shipwreck. And you know what he says at the end of that passage? He said, besides all those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. You know the biggest thing Paul carried? It was not physical persecution. It was not the uh, 39 stripes five times. It was the heart he had for the work of God. And the heart he had for the churches that God had helped him to start. Paul's assessment of the people around him as he was looking to send someone to check on the church at Philippi, Paul's assessment of the the people around him was verse 21, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. You say, well, you know, this kind of makes sense if you think about it because Paul is in Rome, he's in prison. 
and, and he's writing this epistle and there's nobody around but Timothy. So that's the only guy available to send. Do you know that at the end of Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 16, Paul greets 26 Christians by name? There are other Christians in this area, but there wasn't any of them like Timothy. As he looked around Rome, he found the average Christian to be of a self-seeking spirit. There are saints to be taught. There are Christians to be discipled and nurtured. There are sinners to be won. Uh, and I'd, I've got to send somebody to check on this church. And the only person I can find with a real heart for the work of God is Timothy. If Paul were to walk in this room tonight and he said, I know we're not serving Paul, we're serving Christ. But if Paul said, I, I, I have a mission and this is a very important mission and I need to... Uh, Let's see, can I, can I ask, uh, let's see, can I, let me ask, um, um, would he be able to point to you? Would he be able to say of you, you have a heart for God? I know I can ask you to do anything God wants you to do, and you're going to say yes. I want to be a Timothy, do you? I want to be willing to be sent. I want to be willing to make sacrifices. And I want God to increase my heart for His mission. We've already read Philippians 2.21 a couple of times. For all seek their own, and not the things which are Jesus Christ's. Would you look at Philippians 1.21? For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Could I challenge you not to be a Philippians 2.21 Christian? But would you determine tonight to be a Philippians 1.21 Christian? Would you be able to sing tonight, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee? You don't have to go to a foreign field to prove that you're willing to join the mission. But you do have to follow the leadership of God. And I'm going to be very bold right here as I'm closing this message. Somebody here tonight should surrender to the mission of God. I am not an arm twister. I don't encourage emotional decisions. But you have been presented this week with a challenge that God is on a mission. And you are to be on mission with Him. And I can't imagine for one second that after the challenge we've been given this week, that God is not calling somebody to get on mission. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord, I can't imagine that you're silent tonight. I know you're speaking. And Lord, if it happens here at this altar in a moment or it happens three months from now, I pray that the seeds are being planted in the hearts of your people right here tonight to allow for this higher level of commitment and yieldedness and consecration. And Lord, would you genuinely take our lives and let them be consecrated, Lord, to thee. In Jesus' name I pray. Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you please stand? How many would say, heads bowed, eyes closed? How many would say, preacher, somewhere along the way this week, God spoke to my heart directly and purposely. And I heard him speak to me. Would you raise your hand? I've heard God speak this week. Thank you. Thank you. While the pianist begins to play, the altar is open. Would you make a decision based on what God spoke to you about? Would you not walk out of this room tonight? And, and say, I'll think it over. Just go ahead and say yes to God. 
and say, yes, Lord, whatever it means, wherever it means for the rest of my life, I want to be on mission with you. Would you have the courage to act tonight on what God has spoken to you about? Please do. In Jesus' name, I pray.